Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. In our sermon series, Walk in the Light, we are going through the first epistle of John and challenging one another to focus on Jesus. Today's speaker is teaching minister, Tim Peace. But I won't. Um, So we're uh, starting a new message series that's going to be uh, this week and the following three weeks thereafter, the whole month of June, basically. And uh, we're calling it Walk in the Light. And we're going to be basically studying through a letter called 1 John, and light is a big theme, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but I figured the best way to start off a series called Walk in the Light is to tell you how much I love darkness. Now, that might, that might unsettle you for a moment, but let me qualify that statement. I like dark or dimly lit rooms. I'll give you a couple examples. Number one. And our offices upstairs, we have these absolutely awful, awful fluorescent lights. And I can't stand them. So in my office, I never turn it on. Now, occasionally people that know that I don't like these lights will come in and, and be mean to me. And they'll turn them on while I'm trying to focus. And then I get agitated briefly. I get up and I just turn it back off. But... I don't, I don't like that, that lighting. I like, the, I like the cozy comfort of the dimly lit room. And the other thing about it is, is I've noticed that the places where I do need light, I have a little lamp on my desk. So if I'm reading or writing or even working on my computer, I like to have that headlamp on there. And it provides just enough light. But with everything else being dim, my focus is only drawn to where the light is. Because the truth is, is when I'm trying to focus on something, I don't want to see everything else. So that's one reason I I like the dimly lit room. Another example of this is when I'm trying to sleep at night. Now, I don't know about the rest of you, but I am the kind of person that needs it to be absolutely pitch black in the room to sleep. And here's the problem with that. We, I'm going to say we, you can determine whether or not I'm part of this decision. Um, we like to keep all of like the doors open for ventilation, you know, to happen in the house. And that means that the, the, the bathroom that's in our bedroom, the door has to stay open. And in there is a nightlight. And it's a bit of like a blue light. And it's, it's kind of dim, but it's enough light to annoy me. But here's where it gets really bad. If the door creaks like halfway open, there's a mirror on the door. And the light bounces off the mirror and just illuminates the whole room. And this is what inevitably happens. I'll wake up at midnight. I can't sleep. My eyes are wide open. I'll toss and turn. And then finally, I'll get so mad at this light that I will walk over to the bathroom and I'll pull the light out of the wall and set it down and then go back to sleep. So I don't know, maybe you can relate to those things, or maybe you're just a person that just, you're actually a good Christian and you do like all facets of light, you know, unlike me. But I wanted to start off that way because, you know, we take for granted the light that we have in life. We live in a world that, uh, in in the dark city, the lights of the city can illuminate our steps 
In fact, it's become commonplace if you're watching a sporting event for the, uh, to get an aerial shot of the, the lit up city during the sporting event. That's something that they put on the television. It looks really neat. We, we do things late at night because we have light. But you know, in the world of the Bible, and specifically the world of the New Testament, that wasn't the case. In that world, the darkness was a bad thing. And it was bad for a couple of reasons. One, they didn't have the modern technology that we have to be able to work into the night, to play into the night, and all of those things. Yeah, sure, they could light a torch and do these things, but beyond those small measures, when it was nighttime, it was dark. And here's the thing. People that did love the darkness, they were the kind of people that if you were out in the dark, you don't want to run into. Because in the New Testament world, bad things happen in the dark. And so it's no wonder that in Scripture, darkness is a symbol of something that you don't want to be into. Therefore, it's also commonplace that in the New Testament, light is such a prized idea. Because during the light of day, you can work. You have visibility. You have clarity of direction. You can see one foot in front of the other. You can see where you're going. You can see your surroundings. You can see everything. And that's the world that the Apostle John lives in. And he's the one that writes this letter that we call 1 John. And for those of you that don't know who John is, John is one of Jesus' earliest followers. He was an apostle. And he wrote five different texts in our New Testament. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote these letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he also wrote that book that everyone just shivers when they open it to, called, open to it, called Revelation. Or in the Greek, the Apocalypse of John. And what we find, if you, if you do it, if you skim through all of John's writings, you'll find that this theme of light comes up again and again and again. In fact, if you do a word study, you'll end up finding out that John talks about light more than any of the other New Testament authors combined. It's a big deal to him. And it was a big deal in the world that he lives in. So that, that begs the question, what do we need to know about the light? And so we're going to look at that today in 1 John chapter 1. And we're going to look at the whole chapter because it's only 10 verses long. And so if you have your bulletins, if you have your Bibles, if you have your mobile apps, or if you have eyes to see the screen, please follow along as we read through 1 John chapter 1. This is what he writes. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard, 
so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Now this is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, DC Talk, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Now, I'm going to just be up front with you. I have struggled with this message this week because there is a lot in those 10 verses So my hope this morning is that we can unpack this together and then walk away understanding just exactly what John calls us, his audience, his readers today, to do with what is in this passage. And the first thing that we have to start off with is John keeps using this word we. Who's he talking about? Well, he's talking about himself and he's talking about his fellow apostles, And we know this because he says that they have heard, they have seen with their eyes, they have touched with their hands the word of life. And if you read the Gospel of John from the very beginning, what you hear is in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word of life is Jesus. And John and his fellow companions have seen and heard and touched Jesus, they were witnesses to him. And that's the message. The message is Jesus. Jesus is the word, and that's what they proclaim to the people. And so we have to ask, well, why is John writing about this message? Because I don't know if you know this, but but writers of the New Testament, when they first wrote these things, they didn't just write because they felt like it or they wanted to say something meaningful. No, they wanted to address a particular issue. It was expensive and hard to come by, the tools to write, and plus, in that culture, most people couldn't read. So most of these things were read out loud, and they were written down to be read aloud so that the issue that is being addressed would be dealt with. And this is what he says is the reason that he writes. First he says, so that you may have fellowship with us with us being the apostles. If you hear the message and you believe, you have fellowship with the apostles and with other fellow believers. And he says also that he writes to make their joy complete, which means that there are probably some in the midst of the church that are not making John and his apostle companions joy complete because they are not believing and they are breaking off fellowship 
with the other believers. And then we ask, well, then what is the message that they proclaimed? And this is where we get to the big idea. And it's in verse 5, and it's the most simple of statements, but it's the hardest one to unpack. He says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. What does that mean that God is light? What does it mean? Well, there's a few things it can mean. First of all, in a world where light was so important and darkness was something to be feared and avoided, all the qualities that we can assume about light that we talked about can be attributed to God. If light is good, then God is good and just and right. If light, if light provides visibility, then God provides visibility. He provides everything. He knows everything. Nothing that is visible is unknown to God. And if light provides clarity of direction, then God being light means that every single one of us have a purpose that can be discerned because God makes that known. He gives us guidance. He gives us light for our feet. He gives us light to see the whole picture. That's what it means that God is light. But there's more to it than that. You know, in the Roman world, sometimes the emperor was given the title or the bearing of light. The emperor, a phrase could be said, is the light of the world. Which is interesting because when you say that phrase, for those of us that have been reading this for a little while, we know that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And so when we call God light, we're not only making a theological claim, but a claim of kingship. Because it is not not the rulers of this world that are in power. It is the God who is light, who is in power. No emperor, no dictator, no president is ruler or king, only God. And then if we look back in the Old Testament, we'll find that, well, light was created from God just by his very word. Light is always attributed as having come from God in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. And so we have all three facets of understanding of light that are applicable to God when we read this one little three-word line that God is light. It's a big deal. And then he adds that in him there is no darkness at all. You know, Light and darkness don't mix. They're like oil and water. Except the difference, though, is that when light shows up into the dark room, it eviscerates the darkness. And so darkness can't be in the presence of the light that is God because God illuminates everything that chooses to be around him. And so, if God is light, then we have to ask the question, 
Well, John, then what does it mean to walk in the light? Because you keep saying this phrase. What does it mean to us? Well, here's how we can figure that out. John gives us five conditional if-then statements. Sorry, that's if we're getting into grammar territory here. We're talking about a conditional clause, which means if you do this, then this occurs. And he gives three negative ones and two positive ones. And he, he kind of he tries to balance them out by putting one after the other, but, but let's look here for a moment at what he says from the negative standpoint. He says, if we claim to have fellowship with him but walk in the darkness, there's the if, then we lie and we do not live out the truth. That's verse 6. And verse 8 he says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then finally in verse 10, he says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. But then let's look at the positive ones. In verse 7 he says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And then in verse 9, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, this is where this gets kind of tricky for us. Because I don't know about you, but I've always kind of heard this phrase, walk in the light, And I immediately think about behavior modification. If I'm walking in the light, then I'm doing all the right stuff, believing all the right things, saying all the right things. And darkness then would be the opposite of that. But that's not what John says. In the positive statements, everyone that walks in the light does something singular and pointed. It says they confess their sins. And those that walk in the darkness deny having sinned at all. Now, I want you to catch something here for a moment. It isn't that those that walk in the light confess their sins and those that uh, walk in the darkness don't confess their sins. So we're not talking about necessarily confessing to one another or confessing to God, although that would be implied We're talking about the difference of admitting our sinful state versus acting as if we've got it all together. And so to walk in the light is not about perfection. What happens when you shine a light on something? What happens? You can see whatever you're shining the light on. If you have a flashlight, and you've dropped something under your couch, you get down, and your knees crack and everything. You might not get back up, but you can flash the light under the couch, and if you get the light in the right spot, you can see whatever it is that you dropped. Light illuminates, but it also exposes. So if you walk in the light, and if God is good and just and truthful, He's actually called true by John. That's another phrase. In fact, Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life in John 14, 6. If God is truth and God is light, then if I walk in the light, that means everything that is true about me, whether it's something I want people to see or not, 
is exposed to God. And so to walk in the light, being equated to confessing sins, means I'm open to God. I'm walking in the light as I am so that God can work in me and help me to become who he wants me to be. Because did you notice that those that confess their sins, those that walk in the light, they get the grace of Jesus, the saving grace, the purifying power of Jesus in their life. And on one hand, that purifying power we know is a one-time thing, but it's also a daily continuous thing because we always need that grace and we always need that power to help us, to encourage us, to guide us, to equip us, to become more like Jesus, who is the light of the world. And if that's what walking in the light means, then walking in the darkness means I'm not a sinner. I've got it all together. I'm pretty good. You know, the problem is, is if you walk in the darkness and you have that I've got it all together mindset, you're putting up a wall, a wall of darkness. You don't want to be seen. And you know, the, the beauty of the gospel is that if you don't want to be seen by God, if you don't want to have your stuff messed with, God won't force his way on to you. But all of the benefits of the exposure of walking in the light, you don't get those. And that's what John is teaching in this passage by giving us both these, the positive side and the negative side of what it means to walk in the light. So I was thinking this week, what can I say? What, how can I illustrate what this looks like on a very human level? And I ended up finding a really good illustration in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus uh, in, in the Gospels likes to tell parables. Parables are, are weird stories. They're, they're stories in which uh, they're meant to be simple and they're meant to be understood by one point and yet uh, they're they're oftentimes uh, not quite as simple because they're kind of outrageous. There's always an outrageous element to a parable. For instance, some of you may know the parable of the sower and his, his seed, and, and we, we hear that parable and, and we talk about uh, the type of soil that we are and whether or not we'll bear fruit. But the, the crazy thing about Jesus telling that particular parable is in that day, when all of the materials for farming were at a premium, no farmer would just arbitrarily scatter his seed everywhere. But that's the point. Jesus is hooking people with the audacious claims in order for them to be open to the point that he's trying to make. And this parable is no different. It's in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, and this is what is written, and, and you can follow again on the screens here, or uh, you can uh, 
following your Bibles here. This is what Jesus says. He says, to some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. By the way, there's your audience cue. Jesus has, a, has an intended audience. To those who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or you know what? Even that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. Hmm. But the tax collector stood at a distance And he would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus adds, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, this man being the tax collector, the other being the Pharisee, went home justified by God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be Exalted. Now, here's the craziness of that story. The Pharisees were the most educated, learned Jewish people of the day. And I can tell you this for a fact not a single one of them in their right mind would ever make the claim that they are not a sinner. It's just one of those theological facts that you have to buy into if you're going to be part of the faith. But the the problem is, and and, uh, Arlen and I got to hang out with uh, our friend Micah at Whitewater Crossing Christian Church, and and he he made this point to me, and in in his way, he's like, 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 you're a New Testament guy, you know this. I'm like, all right, whatever. He He goes, when we think about belief in the Bible, Belief is always active. And so we can say that we believe something. We can say it out loud. We can think the right thing on an intellectual level. But ultimately, our belief is shown by the way we live. In our words and in our deeds. And so the Pharisee may never have made the claim that they weren't a sinner. But to stand upright with a posture toward God, who is perfect, who is light, and say, God, thank you for me being me, because I'm not as bad as everybody else in the world, says that that guy doesn't actually believe that he's a sinner. He may say it, you know, for instance, if he were to bring a woman caught in adultery before Jesus, and then Jesus says, whoever's without sin cast the first stone. Of course, they drop the stones. But do they actually believe that reality? The tax collector, on the other hand, was a social outcast, reviled, taking money from his fellow Jewish people, giving it to the Roman occupiers. No one liked tax collectors. 
And yet he stood before God and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus concludes that it is the tax collector, not the religious elite guy, that went home justified before God. It was the tax collector who was walking in the light. And it was the Pharisee who was walking in the darkness. And that's the point of 1 John chapter 1. We are called to walk in the light. But walking in the light is a scary thing because walking in the light is an open admission before God that God, I don't have it all figured out. I'm really rough around the edges. I don't know everything. I stumble. I make mistakes. I haven't arrived. I'm not perfect. I don't know what I'm doing half the time. But to walk in the darkness is to say, God, I may say and I might think that I need you and your saving grace. But day in and day out, I walk as if you're not there. As if I don't need you. As if I got what I needed when I got dunked in the water, but beyond that, just stay back at a distance. I've got this. I like my situation. I like what I've made for myself. That's walking in the darkness. And here's the sad reality about walking in the darkness versus walking in the light. When Jesus said that tax collector went home justified, there's, there's two big theology terms that, uh, that you know, systematic theologians in the type uh, talk about. There's the justification, which means the, the one-time-for-all-time declaration that one is made right with God. And then there's sanctification, And it's the daily making right and making more Christ-like. And you see, when we talk about walking in the light, it's it's not an either-or thing. You don't get the benefits of justification and not the sanctification. It's a both-and proposition. And that's why in our bulletins, I came up with this little bottom line, and that's this, that fellowship is rooted in our common and daily need for Jesus. You didn't just need Jesus to get your golden ticket out of hell and into heaven. You need Jesus because you can't do life in the God-is-light-illuminated sort of way without him. And neither can I. But it's when we have that humility and that admission that we don't have it all together that God says, come into the light, I'm gonna take care of the rest. I'm gonna make you more and more like my son, Jesus. Because he's the light of the world. And so the thing is, while, the, while exiting darkness and going into light, 
seems scary because it's hard and because sometimes having the rough edges smoothed out by God is not a fun process. You're never really alive until you step into the light. See, because that's the funny thing about me uh, hating light when I'm trying to sleep. Do you know why I hate light? Because light wakes you up. Or to use a phrase today, it makes you woke. (laughs) See, because here's why. Because you're awake to reality. You're awake to your imperfection and your need for God. You're awake to the challenges of life. You're awake to the challenges you're going to face once you get out of bed. But here's the thing. Ignorance is bliss only for sleepwalkers. But Paul in Ephesians 5.14 says, Wake up, O sleeper, and rise to be in Christ. That's the call. Yeah, I can stay asleep. I can stay in the dark. But the thing is, is as comfy and cozy as sleep might be, if you stay in the dark and you stay asleep, you're not really living. And God sent his son Jesus so that we could be fully alive. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for the fact that uh, you are good to us, and I thank you for your call to humility. And uh, I know how hard humility is. It's, it's actually uh, <laughs> the challenge to, to be open to you uh, is made up of a ton of different uh, decisions that in all reality uh, we tend to stumble upon. And so, God, I just pray that you will open our hearts to your light, help us to walk in it, help us to humble ourselves before you so that you can do a work in us. Because if we walk in the light, we get to radiate your light to other people, and that's the goal. We have the opportunity to share the love that you have for us with others, and we can't do that without you. We can't fix ourselves. We can't modify our own behaviors. We need you. And so, God, I just pray that you will help us understand that and help us to connect as a church family together with one another uh, so that we will continue to walk humbly in your light and be a light to those around us. And it's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.